0: This morning we will continue in the book of Galatians our study entitled Freedom Forever. And today as we begin this sermon, we actually will be going into a a, a study in a study a little bit. Uh, A portion taking place today, but the rest of this taking place place probably in early January. We have uh, the holidays coming up and various things taking place, so we want to be mindful of that. But in this study, I, I invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to Galatians, the second chapter. And as you do, I would like to just welcome all of our guests to worship this morning. And Actually, do something. I, we, we never really do. If you are a first-time visitor, just kind of just just shake your hand and something. If you are a first-time visitor, we'd like to see if we have any first-time visitors today. No first-time visitors. All right. Oh, amen. We do have a first-time visitor. Amen. <laughs> amen. Did that to see if we've been about our business. Because if we just, the same folks here every Sunday, then we ain't doing something right, is we? We ain't telling somebody about Jesus. We ain't inviting somebody to church. We got work to do, y'all. We got work to do. Galatians, the second chapter. We'll be reading... Verses 11 through 21, again, taking half of this this week, verses 11 through 14 specifically, and the rest. Next time we uh, open up to Galatians. Galatians, the second chapter, beginning with verse 11. This is the word of God. Hear the voice of Christ. But when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face, because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel— I said to Cephas before them all, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners, yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading of his word. You may be seated. Heavy subject matter this morning. I'd like to tag this text, Free from Hypocrisy, Confronting the Sin of Racism free from hypocrisy, confronting the sin of racism. Let us pray and ask the Lord to bless our time. Well, Father God, we humbly come before you in desperate need of your presence, desperate need of your power. Father, I ask that you would open blind eyes and open deaf ears to your word this morning. May we not hear from man, but may we hear from Christ Jesus himself. Father, please forgive us of our sins for the wrongdoing we have committed even this week, Lord, the ways we have dishonored and disobeyed you to pursue our own lusts and desires, to satisfy ourselves rather than being a living sacrifice unto you. Father, have mercy upon us by allowing us to worship freely, to know that this gospel of grace has set us free from all human expectations and shackles. Father, I beg that you will speak. Holy Spirit, speak to us. May you deepen our love for you. For the one who is burdened and distressed, Father, may you meet them where they are. May you bring strength and encouragement even this morning as your word is being preached. Father God, have your way in this place. In Jesus' precious and holy name, we do pray. Amen. 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 You know, I remember when I was a child in the evenings spending time with my family and and watching television shows. And I remember even at times watching that, that black and white Screen TV, uh, yeah, I act like I don't know what I'm talking about. I'm talking about that TV that you had to put aluminum foil on the antenna to even get the signal to come in, and it wasn't a digital switch. It was like a click, like click, 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 and then you get into the high numbers. You know, click, 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 and I remember vividly spending time with my parents watching shows, watching shows like Different Strokes, uh, watching the Jeffersons. Uh, I, I even remember watching the Love Boat. But watching these shows, spending time, and getting lost in that episode for like a half hour. But after that half hour was over, it was, it was time to come back to reality. It was real life once again. And I remember one time sitting down for an evening with my family and watching a TV show, but this particular TV show, there was a different tone to it. To the, to the family cadence, and it, it was a little bit more serious, a little bit more somber. And I remember sitting down to watch the miniseries of Roots. And, and, and it wasn't, we, we, we know of it from the remake, uh, but the original series of Roots, uh, based upon the book that is entitled the same, documenting a, 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 a family from slavery all the way through to post-Civil War existence, I remember characters like Kitte and, and Kizzy and Fitler and, and Chicken George and, and, and seeing how their lives were affected and touched by this, this government-sanctioned uh, oppression and slavery. And for the first time, I was seeing the, the horror of slavery. In action. Government sanctioned abuse of a people based solely upon their skin color. And Sally, once the episode went off, it was back to reality to me in a sense. It, it, It wasn't until later, sometime, that I fully realized that though slavery was over, ideologies of inferiority and systems of segregation, and discrimination were alive and well. And though some deny that racism still exists, even those who acknowledge it, men do not fully understand the extent at which racism is present. As defined in the book, Critical Race Theory and Introduction, racism is any program or practice of discrimination segregation, persecution, or mistreatment based upon membership in a race or ethnic group. Say that again. Racism, any program or practice of discrimination, segregation, persecution, or mistreatment based on membership in a race or ethnic group. So when we think about racism, racism not only exists in America, Racism is woven into the fabric of who America is. It's in our DNA. To help us to walk through this and and, and to think about this, have a a graphic, I don't know. So we have this graphic here. And what this does, is it kind of serves to help us think past just the present. Because many times... You, if, if, if a person brings up racism or some type of oppression, it's like, man, that was way back then. Why don't you just get over it? But when we think about how evil and heinous and wicked the institution of slavery was, is we're really not that far from it. If we really think about the institution of slavery for over 240, like for 246 years, American slavery existed. two hundred. Years, and then even after the Civil War, we have 89 years of segregation. Based upon the date you want to pick, 1954 or 64, we're really not that far from oppression of a people because of their ethnicity. I often tell people, you know, my daddy was alive during the Voting Rights Act. I mean, if you were. So for us to arrogantly say, oh, that's just way back then, we're not thinking about the effects, generationally, that racism have, has had, not only on African-Americans, but on this nation. Nobody wins with racism. When we think about in 1619, the first African slaves arriving in Virginia. When we think about in 1861, the Dred Scott case where Congress uh, says that the federal government cannot ban slavery, it's up to the states, and in that same case, slaves were declared not citizens. 1863, the Emancipation Proclamation. 1865, the Civil War ends, and the 13th Amendment, Amendment is ratified. But yet, from 1865, 1866, in the South especially, these black codes are put in place in order to continue to restrict the rights of newly freed slaves. 1869, we see uh, Plessy versus Ferguson where the Supreme Court says that racial segregation is okay, which leads to a whole system of Jim Crow laws of segregation. 1954, Brown versus the Board of Education, we see segregation in schools. Deemed unconstitutional, and in 1964, we have the Civil Rights Act. We've come a long way as a nation, but there is still much work to be done in order for genuine unity to take place. Yet even after three over 300 years of oppression, there's hope. Even after historical failures of many churches to stand up against the tyranny of the times, there is hope. See, but our hope doesn't come from federal legislation or a charismatic leader. Our hope, our Christian hope, comes through the blood of Jesus. Racism can only be eradicated by the cross of Christ as declared by the gospel. See, in scripture, we see that King Jesus, he will come and he will crush this vile villain of racism when saints from every nation, from all tribes and all peoples and all languages will stand in front of the throne of the Lamb declaring glory and praise and honor to his name. See, but until that day, the people of God, the church, heaven's outpost on earth, we must stand and be the church. We must confront racism on every front. For the truth of the gospel confronts the sinful hypocrisy of racism. This is the example in the text that Paul is laying out for us, see here he, he illustrates what it looks like to not only talk the talk, but to walk the walk. Just leaving the Jerusalem council where everyone has has agreed and shook hands and said, yeah, Gentiles are allowed in the church. God is saving this people who weren't a, a people before it and he's, and he's bringing them in uh, to, to, to this covenant fellowship. But now we see what's happening on the ground. And here he recalls an event which took place when the apostle Peter visited the church in Antioch. See, what he's doing for the Judaizers is, is, is laying out that you are, you are trusting in, in the fact that men may have declared something. But let me show you that though men may say some things, man is fallible, but the gospel is infallible. And that our trust is not in man's words. Our trust is in the gospel of Jesus Christ. So from the text this morning, I just want to flush out in this first half of the sermon six things that racism is. Six things from the text that we see that racism is. Racism is sin. Number one. Number two, racism is rooted in fear. Thirdly, we see that racism is seductive. Fourthly, racism is hypocritical. Fifthly, racism, racism is to be confronted And lastly, number six, racism is not compatible with the gospel of Jesus Christ. The context here is Antioch was the largest city in the uh, Syria-Palestine area, and it was ground zero for where Jewish Christians had went on mission for Gentiles. Those who were not part of God's people originally, but now they are—they have received the Holy Spirit and they are responding to the message that only Christ alone saves. They're responding. This is the location of the first Gentile church. As a matter of fact, in Acts 11 in Antioch is where the disciples were first called Christians. This Gentile church. So as we see the text open up, we see Peter, he he first arrives in this predominantly Gentile city and we see him chopping it up with the locals. He's getting in with them. He's he's eating their food. He's having meals with them, uh, uh, symbolizing that they are fully accepted. They, They are a part of the covenant that God has established. He's doing life with them. But then all of a sudden, some Jewish Christians come to town, and for whatever reason, we're not sure why, why, why they're there or how they heard about what's going on, but as soon as they arrive, things begin to change. Peter begins to segregate himself from the local Gentile Christians. And soon after, uh, other Jews begin to segregate themselves following Peter's lead. In segregating the Jews from the Gentile, Peter brings division to the church in Antioch, dismantling any semblance of unity, bringing that divide of us and them. Yeah, we over here, they over there. See, and on the surface, the, the Jews will point to the ritual purity laws, which say that they cannot eat certain things in order to be clean, and that clean means to be acceptable before God. They will point to these laws. They will point to the fact that uh, there's a tradition that Gentiles were no, were unclean because of what they ate. Because of how they lived. So for a faithful Jew to eat with a Gentile, you were, you, you were going to become unclean yourself. So that means you would not be acceptable to God. But there's something deeper that's going on here. A sinister belief is at work. And one scholar put it, put it this way. Many Jews held to a belief that regarded Gentiles as different by nature. Because they believed that Gentile ancestors were not freed from the evil impulse at Sinai as Israel was. What are they saying? They're saying by nature Gentiles were different from them because God had not fixed them up on the inside. So by nature, there was something completely different from Jews and Gentiles. Simply put, Jews would say that Gentiles were second-class citizens outside the covenant community of God, therefore not worthy of equality from God. Gentiles were an inferior people. Is this not the fundamental belief? of all racist thought? That by nature, you're less than. You're inherently evil and wicked because of your ethnicity. That, that we are superior because of the knowledge, because of the benefits and blessings that we have received, and you are not. Is that not the fundamental belief? This leads us to our first point. Racism is sin. Verse 11, but when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face. Why? Because he stood condemned. Condemned. In the text, that's guilty. Peter stood guilty of his posture towards the Gentiles, Peter was in sin. Paul is, he opposes him to his face because he sees the sin being produced by Peter's witness and his testimony. He's guilty. And Peter, he is entering into the sins of both commission and omission. He is intentionally separating himself. He, he is segregating uh, uh, from the Gentiles with the belief that they are less than in some way. This is a sin of omission because the gospel unites and it doesn't divide. It says we are one. If you ever really wondered what sin was taking place through racist practices, turn with me to James, the second chapter right quick. James, the second chapter, beginning with verse one. We see that racism is the sin of partiality. James, the second chapter, beginning with verse one. James, he says, my brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord, our glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothes come into your assembly and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in. And if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say you sit here in a good place while you say to the poor man, you stand over there. Or sit down at my feet. Have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers. Has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man and are not the rich the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? And they are, are they not the ones who blaspheme? The honorable name by which you are called. So James is saying, two men come in. One is dressed really nice. He has a really nice gator skin zone. And, and, and he looks the part. He looks like he really fits. And you tell him, oh, yeah, you, you come up to the front. You look like somebody important, somebody valuable. You come up here. But then he says, a poor man comes in. And you said, no, nah, you can sit back there or you sit at my feet. You, you don't deserve a position of honor like that man because he looks nice. James says, you, are, you are committing the sin of partiality. You are making the, a distinction between people within the body of Christ. This is racism. To say of one that I am better than you, you sit here. This is the sin of partiality. But So what we see that even though Peter is saved, Peter has fallen into some sin, some serious sin. What we can understand right here is the fact that, just a little tangent, but you know what? Leaders get it wrong sometimes. Don't believe, here, Here, Peter, the apostle of apostles, he's the one that, that it, it, it had preached that Pentecost. His theology was tight. His doctrine was tight. He had everything on paper. If he took the test, he would pass the seminary exam. But when it comes to living out life for real, many of us fall, many of us fall into sin. Not just leaders, you too. Because we know what we're supposed to be doing, but we find ourselves doing things we're not. When it comes to really walking out your faith, there's going to be times where I will say stupid things, I will say wrong things. I will be in sin. My prayer is that you will give me grace and allow me to repent, to make things right. And so we know that leaders fail, but the gospel doesn't. That's his point. The people that we prop up, the people that we think are all that, that, they will fail. And if your trust is not in Jesus Christ and this beautiful, glorious gospel, you will be let down. Think about your lives. How many times have we heard someone say, well, I'm not coming to church. There's a bunch of hypocrites in there. They did this. My pastor used to. The deacons used to. But you know what? If you continue to look to man for approval of God's glory, then you're looking in the wrong place. You need to look at the gospel and see how exquisite, how beautiful, and how pure it is and place your faith on that. A faith placed on anything besides the gospel is a faith that will be disappointed. You'll be disappointed. And people, even people who, who love you, they're going to disappoint you. So who do we look to for hope? We look to Christ. Historically, the church got it wrong. See, racism is so wicked because it's built upon ungodly standards of differences. It's ungodly standards of differences. If we look at the text of scripture, what we call race right now is, is, is really just a social construct. Race in America is a social caste system that places people on top or bottom just, just on their skin appearance. And you have minorities on bottom, the majority on top. For African Americans, we we like at the bottom, bottom. <laughs> so we're affected in so many different ways because of this social caste system. But when we look at the text of Scripture, everything is based on ethnic groups. So you will have Jews. Who, who are ethnically, ethnically different, but yet still Jews. They will be all, all shades and all colors, but yet they still will be God's people. We must ask ourselves, what unbiblical distinctions do I make? Who do you go out to eat with? How do you decide who your crew is going to be? When when you walk into a room and you try to figure out who you're going to sit by, who do you choose? Racism is sin. But then also racism is rooted in fear. Verse 12, for before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles, but... When they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. Paul had fear. He he was with the Gentiles. He was hanging with them. Give me some of that bacon, brother. But then now, Jewish Christians come in, and he, he kind of step back. Oh, oh, you know, I, I don't, I don't eat that. You know, I don't eat that. I don't touch that. I don't go. I don't go there. Yeah, but. But, Peter, you was just like, yesterday, you was hanging. No, it wasn't me. You had someone else. No, no, that was you, Peter, because you asked for seconds. And no, no, it wasn't me. I'm over here. So Peter is separating himself. The text says, but when they came, he drew back. He, he withdrew. Literally, in the, uh, the original language, it's, a, it's a, like a military withdrawal. We gone. I'm not going to have anything to do with you. But Paul says that happens, why out of fear. See, Peter was fearful about the ridicule that may come. He was fearful about the contention or conflict he may have had with these Jewish Christians. He was worried about what they may say about him, what the report would be about his life. He was worried about persecution. Beloved, racism is so sinful because it exalts, it exalts self above others. You ain't really worried about them. You worried about yourself. You're not really worried about what's going on in their life. You just want things to be a certain way for your life. This is sin. Why? Because it's contrary to the scriptures. Philippians 2 and 3. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of Others That's scripture, but racism says, I'm concerned about my reputation. What if my, ch- what if my child marry outside of my race? What are they going to say about me? What are they going to say about me if I walk in the room with someone who doesn't share the same ethnicity? What are they going to say? I don't, care. I don't actually care about the person. I'm worried about my reputation. I'm worried about my comfort. This is sin. So we must ask ourselves, how has fear driven you to consider yourself above everybody else? How has fear caused you to make decisions that you're only worried about your outcome and not the outcome of your spouse? Not the outcome of your children? I'm, well, I'm, you know, we, we got to get these lights on, so I'm just going to use their name and get credit. And I know their credit going to be jacked up when they get older, but hey, we got to do what you got to do. I'm meddling. Let me stop. <laughs> How many times have our actions affected somebody else because we was afraid and didn't have faith in Christ? We got to make it happen in a failing Because we don't trust Christ. Racism is rooted in fear. Not only is racism rooted in fear, but racism is seductive. Look at verse 13. Because after all this has taken place, 13 says, and the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with them so that even Barnabas was led astray. We'll we'll look at that by their hypocrisy. Even Barnabas, as the Jews are seeing Peter's life, they're looking to him for a witness and an example. And he begins to lead them astray. And now all of the Jews want to get caught up in this ethnic pride that this is us and that's them. And I love how Paul says even Barnabas. You know why he says even Barnabas? He's like he's like surprised, like even like Barnabas? Turn with me to Acts 11th chapter. Why, why is Paul like, what? Acts 11th chapter. Walk with me here. Start, let's start with verse 19. So, verse 19. It says, now, those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia Cyprus and Antioch speaking the word to no one except Jews so they, they're worried about this oppression that's coming they're only talking to Jews say, but there were some of them men of Cyprus and Cyrene who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists, these would be Gentiles also preaching the Lord Jesus so they, they, they leave Jerusalem now they come to this pagan city, this city full of Gentiles, and began preaching Christ to whoever they come in contact with. They're not just looking for Jews. Verse 21, and the hand of the Lord was with them. And the great number who believed turned to the Lord. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. Folks getting saved. We need to see some more teachers, some more pastors. Barnabas, you go holler at them. So Barnabas goes, one that came that got me to come teach the Gentiles in the first place don't underestimate how powerful the peer pressure of racism is you get in your little crews, you get in your little circle of friends y'all all look the same talk the same anyone else that tries to come in that's any bit of different we like nah bro you ain't with us we like nah you can't hang with us Oh, yeah, yeah. I'll hit you up later. And and, and we know we ain't thinking about them. Think about how seductive racism is because racism wants to build yourself up over others. Who doesn't want to be God? Who who doesn't like a retweet? Who doesn't like a, a like on their posts? Y'all posting and y'all mad because somebody ain't liked it. And you're just like, it only been like a minute. I'm like, chill out. You just posted. It's like, we want this affirmation that I'm good and and I'm great. And racism says, yes, you are. And look at them. You're better than them. So now you're stepping on people's necks and heads in order to affirm yourself. And God says, that ain't how I roll. I affirm not based upon your glory, but the glory of my son, Jesus Christ. Because he is preeminent. And he is to be worshipped, not you. It's seductive. But then we see, that we see how, how, how an individual's sin has spread to everyone else's sin. See, many times we think of racism on a horizontal, personal level. And racism seems to be that one sin that everybody in the church gets lit. I ain't racist, really. Like everybody in church. I don't struggle with that sin. Really? But we think about racism in personal, like you and me. Like you ain't call me out my name, so I guess we straight. But if racism is sin and sin is in us, then we have racist tendencies, all of us. And if people build structures, then those structures that are built by sinful people should have uh, images of racism built into those structures themselves. So this is not only talking about this horizontal personal uh, racism. This is talking about structural racism, how businesses get loans, where people live in a city, who's, who really gets jobs, who can vote, what do you need to vote, structures, what school you go to, how many teachers they got there, what's the funding level, structural, Peter's sinful influence touched all these other Jews. Now you have a structural racism in place in Antioch. Yah can't come this way. It's seductive. Racism is so pernicious because it worships at the altar of preference. We take preference and make it supreme. This is what I like. This is what I'm comfortable with. So that's what I'm going to keep doing and surround myself with. See, sometimes we, we have to pay attention. So in, in, in countries like America, we, we invoke this patriotism, which is a good thing. To honor the, honor the country, thank the Lord for all of the rights we do have. The, uh, I, I was teaching this morning to the youth and talking about uh, allegiance like, I, well, I don't care what you say about America. Would you rather have allegiance to America or would you rather have allegiance to Russia? It's like, America? It's like, you know, like, I, I, those problems I've had, but yet I have some patriotism. I appreciate the soldier sacrifice. I appreciate the military. I'm going to pray for my president. Those in positions of, of honor, I, I I have a sense of patriotism, but but whenever patriotism turns to imperialism, that's when we fall into sin because imperialism says, I'm not only the best, but I'm going I'm, to I'm dominate you while I'm being the best. There's no room for you here. I'm going to hold you down while I keep pressing myself up. This is sin. We must ask ourselves, how have I allowed my personal preferences to build structures that divide or dominate in our own lives. Have we built these sinful, seductive structures enticing others around us to to follow our lead as our lead leads people further and further from Christ? Racism is seductive. Racism is hypocritical. Back in verse 13. Peter says, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. See, it's hypocrisy because Peter really knew better. In Acts 10, we see how God gave him a vision to go to Cornelius. And as he goes to Cornelius, the the Gentiles' home, God tells Peter that nothing, no one is unclean anymore. And you preach the gospel to these Gentiles. And he preaches the gospel. and The Holy Spirit falls on them. As the Holy Spirit falls on them, he is amazed that Gentiles can now have Christ. The gospel is for everybody now. And and there arose some Jewish Christians like, Peter, what you doing on that side of town? Why are you hanging out with them? And he says, the gospel has fallen on the Gentiles. They have the Holy Spirit. And once he says they have the Holy Spirit, they're like, well... If the Holy Spirit is there, we can't argue. So, Peter knew better, but yet he contradicts what he knows. Acting out of fear, he he becomes a living contradiction because he's living out of fear and not conviction. This is why racism is hypocritical. It doesn't recognize that we are all from Adam and Eve. Racism doesn't recognize that we are All in sin because our parents, Adam and Eve, have fallen into sin. That we are all in need of salvation. Because when it really comes down to it, it's hypocritical because if you are in a hospital and need a blood transfusion, I ain't asking who is it from. If I've been on the Oregon donor list for for three years and I got a month left, I ain't asking who, who that lung from. It's hypocrisy. We know there's one race, the human race. So we must ask ourselves where does hypocrisy live in my heart? Where do I deny the truth? See, hypocrisy says, yeah, I know what I'm supposed to do, but this is what I'm going to do. Hypocrisy says, I have to write answers on the test, but just don't ask me to do this stuff for real. Hypocrisy, he says, do what I say, not as I do. It's hypocrisy. But then also racism is to be confronted. This is is what Peter's doing here. In verses 11, he say, I oppose Peter to his face. Verse 14, he says, but when I saw their conduct, I said. He wasn't silent about it. He speaks up when he sees sin in play. When he sees his racism at work, he says, that is not how the gospel works. And he speaks up and he makes a voice. So what what does that mean for us? That means when we are in situations where racism is running rampant, we have to speak up. When we hear a racist joke, uh, let me tell you this joke about the white man and black. Nope, nope, cut it out, bruh. I ain't even hearing it. We have to think about the nuances of our language. We have to reconsider what we call good hair and bad hair. Negative connotations, right? Everything black is bad. Everything not is good. No. When we start our conversation with man, white people, or black people, ah, we got to confront that. See, racism is so dangerous because it rejects the Imago Dei. It rejects the fact that God has said, let us create man in our image. Whenever you deny the beauty of an image bearer, you're denying the beauty of Christ himself. Because God says, I'm going to make them look like me. And I look good. And I am beautiful. And I am marvelous. And they're going to look like me. That's where our inherent value, dignity, and worth comes from, the fact that we are image bearers, not because of our performance. So we must ask ourselves, how have I rejected the Imago day and failed to confront sin? Am I always talking about how people look? Am I always capping, talking about somebody's mama, talking about their shoes, talking about their clothes? Am I always talking about, oh, they ugly? Really? An image bearer of Christ? Sinfulness. Our ideas of beauty. What do we think is beautiful? What we consider glorious. Are we looking for that person with, with the pecs and the, and the muscles? Or are we looking for that godly dude who got a good job? Sing in the choir. Teach Bible study. Yeah, his head kinda shaped funny. But you know what? I could work with that. What do we consider beautiful? The very things that the world considers beautiful. We must reject that. Lastly, racism is not compatible with the gospel verse 14, this is where Peter simply says, but when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel. Distinctions, partiality, preferences, in lieu of the gospel, they're not in step. The the, the word here, it, it means to, to walk in a straight line with. It, it actually like literally means like ortho walk. Like to walk, to walk rightly. And if you have a gospel that's making distinctions that is contrary to to, to to what Christ is saying, if you have a lifestyle that is making distinctions out of step with the gospel, you're in sin. Because racism is not compatible with the truth of the gospel. What is the truth of the gospel? That we all have come from Adam and Eve. That God created in the beginning. He is the sustainer and the creator of all things. But because man, Adam and Eve chose to sin, we all fall short of the glory of God and stand in need of a savior. We're born into sin, shaped in iniquity, in need of rescue from Jesus Christ alone. See, we can't can't be good Christian racists. It's not compatible. If you ain't struggling, it may be a struggle. Well, again, the church seems to be a place where everybody don't struggle with racism. But if it is a struggle, it needs to be a struggle. But we can't just say, no, nah, I don't deal with it or that's just how I am. We must deal with this. Racism is so evil because it opposes the truth of the gospel. It is lifting up identity over the cross of Christ. So we must ask ourselves, do I live in light of the gospel or do I live in light of the culture? Racism is not compatible with the gospel. The ultimate problem with racism is that it's a, it's a value system. And this value system Is the perception, the perceived performance of a particular ethnic group is more valuable than another group. That's where racism stands. So if we have a gospel that's not works-based, how can we have an existence that's works-based? How can I value a certain ethnic group's work over another if my salvation is not, troubled about my work. How can, how can I say, Lord, before you I stand naked, having done nothing, uh, only by the blood of Christ, and then look at another racial group, and I wish they would just get themselves together. Don't they know they have all the opportunities and chances, just like everybody else? Don't you know that Christ says you can't redeem yourself, but how do you create standards that are contrary to the gospel? That's the issue. But the gospel reminds us of this one thing. That we are all failures when it comes to life. The word of God says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You know what that is? Failure to live according to God's standard. For the wages of sin is death. We deserve eternal separation and punishment in hell because we have failed to live according to God's righteous standard. We are failures. But, but God Himself has provided a hero, someone who has perfect performance, someone who, who, who has kept all the law and, and has contributed to society in a profitable way by providing salvation. But God demonstrates his love towards us. And while we were yet sinners, while we were yet failures, while we had our back turned to him, Christ died for us. We all need a rescue. But if we're counting upon our own performance to save us, if we're counting on the fact that I was baptized if we're counting on the fact that I went to church a couple times, if we're counting on the fact that I do more good than bad, then we're counting on performance and that will not get us into glory but only through the blood of Christ. Racism is sin. Racism is rooted in fear. Racism is seductive. Racism is hypocritical. Racism is to be confronted. Racism is not compatible with the gospel. Let us pray. Father, thank you for your word and that truly indeed your word gives us everything we need for life and godliness. And Father, even your word shows us how to deal with the evils of racism so father thank you for your blueprint thank you for exposing us through your word show us lord the hypocrisy in our own hearts that we would be broken and we would turn to you before it's eternally too late father show us that we need a savior who has perfect performance in order to justify us before you Father, God, save one today. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the privilege. Thank you for Christ. In Jesus' precious and holy name we pray. Amen. 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 You know, you may be here today and understand that you've been trying to live a performance-based life. That You've been trying to live up to God's holy standard. And you realize today from the scriptures that you are a failure in need of a savior. That you are full of racist tendencies and ideologies and thoughts, and you need the blood of Jesus to crush that in your heart. And God is burdening your life, saying, "Come to me today, and I will save you from your sin, and from yourself." You can come and talk to one of the pastors or one of the deacons, and we will show you from the scriptures what must you do to be saved. But then also, you may be here, and the Lord has been uh, convicting you of the sin in your own heart, in your own life, and you just want to repent or you're here and there's various issues of life going on and you need prayer, you can come and receive prayer. One of the pastors, uh, one of the deacons will pray with you. But then lastly, if if you believe the Lord is calling you to join with us in covenant membership here at Forest Baptist Church, we would love to have you. If you believe the Lord has called you to exercise your spiritual gifting here within this body of Christ, you can come and join Forest Baptist Church. So whether your need is salvation, prayer, or church membership, respond to the word of Christ today. May you stand, but we all stand as we sing our closing song.
1: There's not a friend like the low Jesus No not one no! The same you're given. No, not one.
0: Amen. At this time, we're going to transition in our worship service to continue in worship, but through the giving of our tithes and offering and the taking together of the Lord's Supper. When we come before the table, we come expectantly, grateful for what Christ has already done. For Jesus Christ, He gave two ordinances to the church. The first being baptism, the second the Lord's Supper. Each one of these ordinances, in and of themselves, there is no saving power. Baptism doesn't save. Lord's Supper doesn't save. But it is an expression of an internal work that has happened. Baptism expressing that I am dead as well and risen from the grave to live with Christ. But the table signifies that I am celebrating what Christ has already done on the cross. And I look forward expectantly to that day where I will be with him in glory. And we will sit down and have a meal of all meals. Celebrating the risen Savior. The Apostle Paul gives us word on how to approach the table. And he says in 1 Corinthians That is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. So Paul is saying that as we come to the table, we come grateful for what Jesus has done. But we come examining ourselves. And if there is any unconfessed sin in our life, before we come to this table, we need to pause and we need to ask God for forgiveness. Lord, forgive me for my sin, for my disobedience, for my rebellion. Please forgive me. And help me to turn away, to not rebel any longer. Paul says this is a serious matter, and we shouldn't have come flippantly. We shouldn't have come religiously. We shouldn't come just because I came last time and the time before that. But I should come because I know Jesus is my Lord, and I know I will see him, and I am celebrating the day I will see him face to face. So as you come, you will bring your tithes and offering as an act of worship then you will take the elements back to your seat and we will take the supper together for those of you with small children we ask that those who are professing Christians who have repented of their sin and trusted in Jesus Christ alone we ask that only Christians will take part in the Lord's Supper so let us be mindful let us examine ourselves But let us be grateful as we come and worship through the giving of our tithes and offering and the taking of the Lord's Supper. Let us please stand and follow the directions of our ushers. If you have not been served I need to be served, just raise your hand and one of the deacons will come.
2: Let us pray. Our Father and our God, as we reflect on that day that you sent your son to die on the cross for our sins, Lord, may we remember the blood that was shed for our sins. May we remember the body that was broken, Lord, for our behalf. Lord, may it not be something that we take lightly. But help us, Lord God, to be reminded, Lord God, of that great day and Lord in which Those who put their faith in you, Lord Jesus, can be reconciled to you, O Lord our God. We thank you for the blood, Lord. We thank you that the blood is as powerful today as it was 2,000 years ago. Thank you, Lord, that you loved us enough that you demonstrated it by giving your life on the cross. That we would have a way and the only way to be reconciled to you, our Father. Thank you, Lord God. May you bless all that is going to be done. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.
0: Amen. You may be seated. At this time, we have a special announcement.
3: Oh, Lord. Oh, Lord. Oh, Lord. Oh, Lord. Oh, Lord. There is just so much to do. According so to much to, to do.
4: Over
3: 8,600 people slept on little
4: streets or in homeless shelters last year. Including over 1,200 children Ooh. and over 900 we veterans. We have so
3: much to do. This drama is And although is sad. nearly
4: 60% of homeless Louis have a job, oh. they still cannot afford a home. We've
3: got things to
4: do. The Could coalition you turn reports that, down that the RX so we Housing talk about Program has cut do? the number of chronically homeless people uh, on the streets by 50%. We have the community drama.
3: The community drama is this Saturday. We've got like 50 people in the cast. We need donations. We need people to stay after church to help move the chairs. We need toiletries. We need so much. We just got so much to do. Just too much. Listen, Mary, why ain't you doing something? Mary, you can be helpful. You know that. We got things we have got to do. Y'all know the drama Saturday?
4: Martha. I got a list. We need toiletries, the video. Let's focus on what the drama Oh. It is to proclaim Jesus Christ to those that are lost. And also, we want to help the homeless um, in Louisville uh, with uh, donations. And also, we want to uh, give these donations. We're basing this off of Luke 2, uh, Luke chapter 2, and also uh, Luke chapter 1. Uh, the play, we want to bring a play. is uh, Saturday, December the 17th at 5 p.m we will present a play, and it's called From an Angel's Perspective. Um, So we want to, uh, this is a a Christmas story from an angel's perspective. So we want to invite you, please invite others to come and also bring donations. uh, Bring donations, sorry. Bring donations, uh, hats and gloves and uh, scarves. And we do have a lot to do. But also, in Matthew chapter 25, uh, Jesus uh, talks about, you know, when you uh, clothed me and when you fed me, when you gave me drink, when I was sick. A hmm. lot of times the homeless, they won't, they won't come in. So we want to provide them hmm. with the things that they need while they're out there in the weather.
3: So it's about Jesus. It's about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. All about caring about Jesus. for everybody.
4: But we do need
3: people. But we do need people. To but help it's us all to about Jesus. the chairs. Hallelujah. Amen. 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 So you know
4: uh, you know when you was growing up and you got guests coming and your mama tell you to be on your best behavior and put a smile on your face and let's get the house clean. That's what we're going to do Saturday, okay? But we need some help moving these chairs today. Please, as soon as service is over, because we're going to uh, another church at 2. Amen. Amen.
3: Praise God. Amen. Community drama. Praise God. Pray for us if you can't attend, but attend and bring others, because it is all about the Christ child who died for us. Amen. Amen. From the perspective of an angel, the Christmas drama. Amen. 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 So, Angel, Angel, we know you got it covered. (laughs) Amen. (laughs) Amen. Praise God. Thank you. (laughs) 50% since
4: 2011, but there's still more work to do.